cold June morning. It's, who enjoys the frosty, foggy mornings? I do too. Must have been born in winter, were we? Who was born in winter? <laughs> very good, very good. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. What time do we have? Awesome. We, uh, we are about to embark on some of the most exciting challenges that have faced us as a church for a very long time. Who's excited about challenges? Oh, yay. <laughs> I'm excited about challenges because challenges aren't always negative. Challenges often can be positive. For example, one of the challenges that we faced as a church was selling a property and buying a, another property and building this facility. That was a challenge as a church. But what it does is it brought people together, amen? It brought people together uh, for the purpose, for the common good, and at the same time to build a facility that was going to glorify God. Amen? And from that decision and from those steps, what happened was that we've seen many things take place in, those, in relation to the vision of Life Source Church here in Griffith and the community. And I think there are so many more things we as a church are able to do as we believe in God and as he leads us in faith steps. Amen? So we're about to embark on not just a challenging time, a time really that, that is around uh, significant faith. Everyone say significant faith. But Jesus only said that we only need a small amount of faith. Is that right? So whose faith are we tapping into when we say significant faith? When it comes to faith, the mustard seed faith is enough to believe in Jesus to receive salvation and enter into the kingdom of God. But you see, it's the gift of faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who believes in you and I, who believes in Jesus' church, who believes in the kingdom of God going forward and who empowers us with the gift of faith to be able to achieve for his purposes. And that's what I'm thinking, is when I say we need significant faith, we don't need the mustard seed faith. We've all got the mustard seed faith. What we need is Christ's faith in our life. Amen. Oh, that one went over like a lead balloon, obviously. So we've got exciting times. And uh, I'm thinking about people at the moment who are tending to look at life with the natural eyes. Who looks at life through their natural eyes or who looks at life with their faith eyes? I was really encouraged this morning. I was out the back there with, with one of the guys just playing around with the key lock at the door. And one of our sisters walked in this morning and I asked how she's going. And she said, amazing or uh, what was the extra words i'm really good i'm really good and i said that's great tell me about it and she said well i'm focusing on all the good things how good is that what a great statement of faith i'm focusing on all the good things there's lots of negatives going on in life but i'm focusing on the good things you know it breaks my heart when i think about people who are navigating this life without faith we have faith we're blessed we're a blessed people amen we should walk around like we're blessed. We should walk in knowing that God is blessing us in every situation. I walked in with a caning headache this morning. I've had it for three weeks now. And you know what? I'm standing here right now and the headache's not there. Why? Because of faith. We can do the things of the, the, the... We can serve the Lord under His power and under His grace. Amen. And if I stumble over my words, it's probably because I'm, I've taken a little bit too much medication as well. But, <laughs> uh, but I could tell you this has been debilitating and I'm just believing that the Lord's going to set me free as well as he's going to set many others free in the congregation today and uh, as we look to the eyes of faith. 
But we are in exciting times and I do feel for people who can't look through the eyes of faith because everything in front of them, everything before them seems like it's too much of a hurdle, right? And, uh, but I think about the, the pastor, and I, sorry, the farmer, and think about the farmer who comes out of a drought season, who could look at life very distraught and very down and very negative, but who chooses to sow the seed anyway. And thinking about that kind of person who, whether they see a cloud or not, believe that the rain is coming. I'm thinking about that kind of person who can just catch the smell of rain on the wind. There's no better smell in my mind, in my thinking, than smelling the rain in the air. So much so I love it, so much so that I, I love the very first time you turn on a swampy at summertime. You know the old air conditioners on the top of the roof? You get that dusty, musty smell that comes through. It's, it's al it almost reminds me of rain in the wind. And I, I feel that the Lord God is, is sharing with us something about the Spirit, that there's rain in the wind at the moment. And that... Uh, it's a season that's going to call for a great harvest. Amen? But for great harvest comes a sowing, a sowing of faith, a sowing uh, to look beyond the own, your own eyes, to look beyond your own means even. Amen? Because the Lord is able to bless 30, 60, even 100-fold with that which we are able to sow. And uh, while this isn't necessarily my message Within it is the concepts of faith that we really uh, need to step into if we're going to unpack the significant challenges that are to come. So over the next three weeks, what we're going to do uh, is we're going to step into a seed sowing campaign or a, or a capital funding campaign, a sense of being able to teach the church around this area of sowing seed and, and sharing uh, that which God has abundantly blessed us with to meet the significant needs that are coming. And as we do our bit, we believe that God's going to do his bit. Amen? So uh, the first thing that I need to say is that we're in significant need of a bigger property. One can say amen to that. <laughs> uh, we, we have outgrown, finally, we have outgrown this two acres of land. And uh, that, that's a big call for me to make. It's a big step to say uh, I've been thinking about this one for, as, for about two years now and the Lord hasn't allowed me to share it but I'm able to start sharing a little bit with each and every one of us so that we can start to build our faith and believe in God who is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly than anything we can ask or dream. Amen? Um, so when I, when I start to share about this stuff, I'm, I'm out there. I'm like Peter. I'm out of the boat. I'm on the water. And, and I believe God's saying to us that we need to be there together. So uh, my feeling is that well, I've got to lead our church into these biggest steps because this is uh, some of the biggest things that we've ever had to uh, face as a church. Amen? So uh, I've, I've put this little bit of a brochure together. It's, it's my attempt to sort of say, you know, I love you guys and uh, I want to communicate the best that I can. Um, but uh, we, we, we really need some land. And I'm not talking a small portion of land. I'm thinking that we need a minimum of 15 acres of land. And those of you in, in, in the church at the moment that understand the prices of land going up in Griffith, I believe God's got a portion of land 
that's affordable and achievable for us as a church. Amen. And uh, while, we're, while we're watching the prices go up, it's okay for those who've got land on the fringes seeing what's going on. We've got to believe that God's got the right place for us. True? Yeah. So we've got to begin this plan, this next stage. And I'm always thankful uh, for this wonderful facility. I'm always thankful that God led our church and, and led us, many of you even still here today, in the, in the giving process and the building process and even the prayer and the faith that was put in and, uh, and the amount of work that people like Graham and Rodney put into this facility. Um, and then over the last, what, three years, how outside has changed com completely. And you can walk out there today and go, we didn't see this 15 years ago, but today we can see amazing things. Um, so I'm always think thankful for those things, but we can't hold on to the past when God's calling us into a greater future. We've got to use those significant triumphs as something that builds our faith and move forward. Amen? So over the next three weeks, we'll be sharing from scriptures relating to giving beyond ourselves, that sense of sowing seed, and uh, obviously using uh, that analogy, that principle there, uh, and relating that to finances. And then on Sunday, the 27th of June, uh, we're going to take up a seed offering. And with that seed offering, we're asking that the church, every person that comes along and calls this place, to take uh, the next two weeks and to prayerfully consider what the Lord is saying to us, to be able to pledge um, towards giving a monthly amount towards seeing this vision and this goal attained. Because the church needs a bigger facility. Um, why? Because two services in the morning are not as practical as you think. Um, and there are people that aren't coming because they feel that they would fill up the room. So this sense of having to book tickets, for example, is sadly scaring people off from coming to church. You know, you wouldn't think so, but it, it really is. So we want to get back to being in a facility that's going to have um, enough seats to accommodate everyone and the growth of the harvest that the Lord's doing. We also need more facilities in the sense of ground and space for our, our ever-growing school. Uh, who's thankful for our school? We, we've, got and, we've got just under 100 students at the moment, and next year with an intake, we're looking like we're probably up somewhere around 140, maybe 150. And uh, so all of a sudden we understand 150 kids running around on that little bit of lawn out there is a little bit impractical. And, uh, and while the school will be responsible for the future growth within themselves, the church has a responsibility as the overseeing party to be able to facilitate and continue to grow the vision that God has there. And I'm really thankful for what God is doing in this. Amen. So we have this, uh, we have this opportunity... Um, but we can't buy land without money. Does that make sense? And we've got, I think we've got about 10% of what we need to be able to buy the land. Isn't that an interesting figure? Can I have our ushers to come forward? I just want to hand these out to people that are here now. Um, do me one favour though. Hold on to this until you go home. Is that okay? Yeah? Thanks, Pete. That's awesome, mate. Hold on to this until you go home. Um, it's, it's only a simple document. It just shares a little bit of the faith uh, as I was leading up to today, but uh, also shares a little bit of the need. I believe that uh, over the next 12 months that we could significantly raise $150,000 toward this next project over the next 12 months. That doesn't sound like, well, for some people, that sounds like a, a heck of a lot of money. But for other people, that's like, well, you know what? 
that's something that's really achievable in God. And maybe we can see that figure blown out of the way. It's just a, a, a marker that says, you know what, let's, let's lift our eyes to believe in God. Can we stand together as our ushers are giving those out? And uh, So this week I get a chance to open up this, this series. Pastor Micah next week is going to share around uh, what is tithes and what is offerings. And then the last week I'm going to wrap it all up around this whole area of sowing and reaping. Amen. So let's pray together. Let's just extend our faith. Father God, as, as these documents go out, they go out with a heart to say, Lord, that we need to trust and believe in you to an even greater level. You have been faithful and you have shown each and every time that we've done something like this, that you have been a blessing and that you have stood behind us. But Lord God, today we ask for a significant breakthrough, a significant miracle. Lord, a, a changing of our hearts and a, and a shifting even of ourselves, Lord, to believe for greater things. For Lord, your purposes over the next... Uh, period and the next season of our life, Lord, is even bigger and even greater than what we can imagine. We look forward, Lord, to partnering with you in the sowing of the seed and seeing a hundredfold the blessings of the Lord poured out abundantly upon your church and upon its people. Father, we thank you and we commit this to you in faith. We commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. So we're like I said, it's a bit of a, a fundraising campaign, but at the same time, it's a faith step. Amen? And everyone, except for one person, is reading, not reading that document, so that's great. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so uh, I want to I open up our Bibles, if we can, to the last book of the Old Testament. Anyone tell me what the last book of the Old Testament is? Malachi, very good. Or for the Italians in the room, Malachi. <laughs> Malachi, very good. Okay, so firstly, let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 6. And only the first half of verse 6. This is what the Lord says through Malachi. For I, the Lord, do not change. For I, the Lord, do not change. Let that, say that one more time for us. For I, the Lord, do not change. It's a significant thing when we understand and we unpack that God has a purpose and that purpose is going to be fulfilled. And his purpose is to see the kingdom of God expand, to, to annihilate the power of sin, which he did in Jesus, to set the captive free, and to assure that his kingdom is completely full at that time when the when Jesus returns. I, the Lord, do not change. And yet, while, while he has always had his own plans and his own purposes, God has always been a God of covenant. Amen? God has always been someone who relates to his people through the covenant promise. He relates, just, he relates to the covenant people of Israel through the covenant that he made, firstly with Abraham and secondly with Moses. But there's covenants all throughout biblical history and today thankfully he relates to us in a greater covenant the covenant made with his own blood the blood of jesus christ but i want to say that one more time for i the lord do not change it's a huge statement and we we have to begin to ponder what god is saying in the middle of chapter three of malachi 
God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. God is a God of kindness. Yet he's also a God of justice. He's also a God of mercy. And he's also holy. Amen? In all of these things and more, God's nature and his statutes, they do not change. Now this is beneficial when we understand that God keeps that covenant. And he fulfills the good things of the covenant. But what happens when we as individuals within the covenant, or we as a body or as a group of people, or even the covenant people themselves, if we miss the mark in some area? Now, missing the mark is a simple way of saying, what happens when we sin? Because it's easy to sin. While Jesus has dealt with the consequences of sin, we still have free will. We still have the choices to make. Is that right? And we can just as easy choose to do something that's anti-God as we can to choose something that is of God. Because God gives us that ability. And sometimes we've got to come to the place of being able to be confronted by God's holy standard and then be cut to the heart and repent before him. Now I've got to do that in my daily life as an individual Christian. I've got to do that as a leader within the church. I've got to do that as a dad. Dad's in the room, you know what I'm saying? You know, we make mistakes. We, we often choose the flesh over the thing. So, so if that's the case, then we've also got to consider it as a Christian movement, for example. For years, I've avoided sharing on the book of Malachi, even when I've talked about giving, even when I've talked about uh, tithing, for example, because what happens is I believe the lie that the Malachi is an old covenant book. That's Old Testament and it should remain in the Old Testament and you can't use it because you're going to manipulate us to give more. Now, does that sound like correct thinking or a thinking in error? Malachi is found in the Word of God. Malachi is the final book of the Old Testament. In this particular Bible that I have before me, I can turn this page of Malachi. I'm on chapter 4. The very next page is the New Testament. It missed the New Testament by one page. And I thank Pastor Micah for sharing that with me. So when we were unpacking this and thinking about Malachi, I was like, but I don't want to feel guilty about manipulating people to give because that's all that Malachi can, it has. But I had to repent because Malachi has such a great message. And giving is found within Malachi, but it's not the message of Malachi. Amen? So I started to, well, firstly, I had to repent. I had to say, God, I'm sorry for never teaching out of this because there's some good stuff in here. And uh, the statement, first of all, first and foremost, that God never changes is a statement of favor that he hasn't changed toward his covenant people um, in, in respect to this point of his saying that he hasn't changed in his covenant with Jacob. And uh, so we can take that back. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he hasn't changed in that covenant. He hasn't changed in his covenant with Moses. He hasn't changed today in his covenant with Jesus. That he remembers that while he's a holy and just God, we are drawn to the nature of sin. We are exposed, born into it. And when Jesus deals with that, we are set apart from that, but we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
which means that we, we are then, we're not like God, holy, righteous and redeemed, and righteous and, and structured. We are redeemed, which means we get the choice to continue to live that way or to live our own way. And I want to be a, a group of people that live the way that God wants us to live and not live the way that we want to live. Amen? So as we get to Malachi, the purpose of Malachi is that he's a prophet of God and the message is to turn the heart of his people, God's people, back to him. It is legitimately what I'm talking about, a book of repentance. Today I believe in our, if our hearts are open, Holy Spirit wants to lead us into this place of repentance, changing our thinking to a place where we would surrender ourselves to his will. Malachi the prophet deals with six different disputes. Did you know that? The people of, of Israel in this time, they've come back out of, uh, out of their uh, separation or their exile into Babylon. And uh, they come back and it's around the same time that Nehemiah has rebuilt the walls and Ezra is rebuilding the temple. And all of these things are going on. And we all know that the temple was not the same as the temple that was uh, of the original. It was very dull. Um, it was not grand in any way. It didn't have the, the splendor and the majesty of the things that, would, that the people would look at and say, this is the house of God. But we all know that the reason all those things were there was because of God's deliverance in the Exodus. And I think Micah will talk on that a little bit next week. So, so we're in this stage, in this period, where, where the people are like, well, you know what? God has deserted us. We've been in exile all of these years. And now we come back and we don't have enough to build. We don't have enough to do. And I've got to work on the trowel at the same time. This is a Nehemiah thing. I've got to have the trowel in my hand and I'm doing all the brickwork in the wall at the same time as I have to have my sword attached to my hip because the enemy is against us. So we've got all of this stuff playing out and the people, they begin to grumble against God. Like, like God, you've forgotten us. You've forgotten us. What, what happened to this justice? What happened to this God of the covenant? The first dispute is this. If you looked at, I'm not going to read it, but if you looked at chapter 1, there's this comparison between Jacob and Esau. The first dispute is this. God, there's no distinction between good and evil because the good get put into prison or get put into captivity and then they come out and the, the temple's been ransacked and our walls are broken down. But the evil, well, they've got all the splendor. They've got all the stuff. They've got everything. They're driving the Ferraris down the road. They're sipping on cappuccinos as much as they like. You understand the, the principle, right? They're disputing against God. Your people of Esau, whom you're not even in covenant with, they're rich and we're poor. That's the dispute. You've forgotten us, God. But God answers and reminds them that he's still in covenant with them. He reminds them that he hasn't forgotten. He reminds them that, that no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter how he's allowed punishment to come upon them because of their hardened hearts that he's still a God of the covenant and he made that covenant with Jacob 
not with the people of the world. Like I said, they believed that God was blessing others over them. The question was stooped or based in whether God makes a distinction between the good and the arrogantly wicked. And I think sometimes within the church, I think sometimes people can be in the church and they can get disillusioned by the stuff around them and they can feel that God is so much against them. And they look at their boss or they look at something going on and they, they instantly say, well, God, they're being blessed and I'm going through hardship. I think this is one of the biggest things that contributes to people falling out of fellowship in church because they're looking with the eyes of their own understanding instead of the understanding that God is always good. The New Covenant, Paul talks about this all the time, doesn't he? Going through shipwrecks, going, being flogged, being stoned, all of that sort of stuff. And yet he kept his eyes focused on the God of the covenant because Jesus was enough for Paul. And in this case, is Jesus enough? Is the covenant-making God enough? That's the first dispute. The second dispute Israel has is... Uh, they're coming into the temple, and this one's really against the priests and the Levites. Pastor James sharing on the Samaritan, the good Samaritan this morning was a good picture. This dispute is really against the Samaritan, uh, not the Samaritan, the, the priests and the, the Levites, and uh, because they were allowing the people to bring terrible sacrifice to the Lord. Now, back in this time, we understand sacrifice was for what? It was for the atonement of sin, right? And the, and, and the commandment was simple, an unblemished lamb or a goat. Unblemished. What the people were doing, were they bringing a lame goat or a lame lamb or something that was ravaged by wolves, something that had been um, uh, sick or diseased in some respect? Could you imagine turning up to the temple to appease God for your sin with a lamb with a broken leg? What does that say to God? And in this case, God wasn't picking on the people. He was picking on the leaders. When he calls them out, and he, 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 this dispute, these people, they're bringing a second-rate sacrifice to the Lord. And, and the Lord calls them out. It... it, it these first three disputes are really things that we see under the law, right? This sacrifice system. But we can't allow the law to blind us from the truth that's within it. God was being dishonored by the polluted offering of the people. And the priests were allowing this. It's almost like saying that God's standards are not above our own standards. The reason the priests were allowing it probably comes down to the fact that they were hungry. So it didn't matter what was put out on the offering. They got a chance to eat and partake of it, right? So we can understand how they were thinking because they were, uh, let's say, impoverished in some respect. But within that sense, if they had kept their best for God, what would have happened is that God would have continued to bless them. Does that make sense? From holding back on God... The blessing is held back. Verse 7 of chapter 1 says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, this is God, 
where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. I like how the ESV puts that, polluted food. A polluted offering. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favour, says the Lord of hosts? So what he's saying here is you wouldn't present that to the governor of the land, but you would present that to me, the God who you are in covenant with. So like I said, the priests are responsible here. Where is this relevant to us? Well, let's put it in this, this question. Can we truly fear God if we do not offer our best? That's the lesson I see here. And what is our best? When it comes to the Lord, he's given us everything. And all he asks for is time, talent, and treasure. They're the things that if we steward them well, then we would see that not only would we be blessed, but that others would be blessed around us. God declares through this prophet in verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So our responsibility is this as a church and as individuals if God is a God who does not change, and God says that through his people, he will be blessed. That sense of, by what we do, the nations will see God. How important is it that everything that we do is done from faith more than from the brokenness? Like these animals that were being put on the offering? Brokenness. But if they had chosen to give their best, the nations would have seen and they would have seen the abundance of God poured back upon Israel and they would have known that God was the God of the world. Amen? So if you see, this is part of our responsibility as a church is to reveal the greatness of God. Everyone say that with me, will you? Responsibility of ours is to reveal the nature of God. I think that's good. The third one, the third one's a big one, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. The third one is this sense that the priests and the Levites again, and, uh, and therefore the people followed them, because obviously people follow the leadership. What they started to do was they started to look outside their marriages. And in fact, what they really did was they got rid of the wives of their youth and started to intermarry, bring in women from Babylon and Persia and all different areas, and they started to marry them. So they, divorce became a big problem here in this season. And they, they set apart, um, they set these people aside. So the women were anti the men, and the men, well, they only had eyes for that which was young, right? But what happened was these women would usually lead them into a place where they would worship other gods 
We see idolatry starting to sneak in here. Malachi 2.11 says, Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So not only have they despised God with their sacrifices, but now they're starting to worship other gods. So idolatry is the problem, okay? God highlights this because the family unit was being led into idolatry. And God's concerned with the family unit. And then they go on and it says in verse 13 of chapter 2, And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favour from your hand. No one would accept a despised offering. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So God here is reminding them, number one, that he's witness of his covenant with his people, and he's also the witness of your covenant with your husband or wife. Isn't that interesting? He's the God of the covenant. So these three areas, God is really, really um, answering these disputes. Now, these first three disputes, what were they? The first one was that good is, or that evil is better than good. Yeah. The second one was, well, it doesn't matter what we give because we're giving anyway. And the third one is, well, you know what? I've moved on, I'm progressive, and, and while I've moved on and become progressive, I'm going to worship some other god because you haven't proven yourself faithful here anyway, so why should I be faithful and why should I worship you? That's basically wrapping it up in our language, okay? So while these refer to the law, they all sound familiar, don't they? That is because all three are carried through into the New Testament. All three of these areas of the law are carried through to the New Testament. We are members of a superior covenant, amen? Hebrews 8, chapter 6, if you want to write that down. The covenant made between God and himself in Jesus. God loves a cheerful giver, amen? Chapter 2, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. We're all priests under the new covenant, 1 Peter 2, 9. That's a big thing, isn't it? We're all priests. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. All of a sudden, Malachi is starting to sound a little bit, oof, <laughs> isn't it? And uh, we, we are to love our wives as we love ourselves because it reflects the love Jesus has for his church, Ephesians 5. You can read that from 22 and on. And then you've got the last one here, and the whole area of being unequally yoked, which is 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't, don't be married to an unbeliever because what happens? It pulls you aside. And these all of the things are the things that Israel are being dealt with, but at the same time, they carry through into the New Testament. And yes, we can understand that Paul and, and Peter, you know, they were Hebrews and, and all that sort of stuff. But to be written in the New Testament, the New Covenant, means that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's where I began, was God doesn't change. Does that make sense? Okay, so the last three disputes, I'm going to put them all together really quickly and help us to understand. Adultery and other sins, a return to begrudging offerings, and the final judgment or separation of the covenant people. 
and the wicked are addressed as Malachi speaks to the nation. So four is adultery and those other sins that come along with it. Five is God goes back to the offering. Okay? And number six is there's a final judgment and a separation of the good and the bad. Okay? It's interesting, isn't it? These three areas of dispute bring to question, which we find in verse 17 of chapter 2, where is the God of justice? If God is good and yet he treats bad people good, where is the justice in that? Where is the God of justice? So chapter 3, we see a play on words. Behold, I send my messenger, is what it says in Malachi chapter 3, and he will prepare the way before me. Malachi, interestingly, the word Malachi or the name Malachi means my messenger. So it's a bit of a play on words. In this case, in the case of the people uh, just coming out of exile and, and rebuilt the walls and the temples, God sends Malachi as my messenger in that particular moment. But the language is prophetic. This is not a book of law. This is a book of prophets. And it's a, it's a, while he's a minor prophet, it's a prophet pointing something, the people to something greater than what is happening in that moment. <clears throat> but there's a new messenger that he's speaking of. Malachi 3, verses 2 to 5 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? This is the messenger. And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he'll purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? It's talking of Jesus. And while he purifies them and refines them like gold and silver, they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and the Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wage, the widow and the fatherless, against those who or thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So the Lord of the covenant says he's going to come and he's going to refine and he's going to do something of a mighty work that only he can do. And with that, he's going to bring justice. And those whom he considers are the wicked, those who are outside of his covenant promises, he's going to treat the way that they deserve. Isn't that interesting? That, that, and he's, while, while there's a play on words that Malachi is my messenger, ultimately it's a picture of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he's going to come like a refiner's fire. When Jesus comes, he's going to be like the fuller's soap. And when, within this, within this proclamation, both the sinner and the purified are judged. One is set apart, the other is judged for condemnation. The refiner, what does the refining fire do? The refiner, they, they get the fire and they light it and it melts the silver and what happens? The dross comes to the surface. Same with the gold. The dross comes to the surface. That which is unpure, that which is not of God, that which is uh, outside of, um, uh, of, of the covenant comes to the top and he deals with that and he discards that. And what's left is a pure lump of silver, a pure lump of gold. And that's what Jesus did. 
when we said yes to him. He purged us and he created us new, created us as new creations, amen? The old is gone, the new has come, and he, he, he hits us like a refiner's fire. But what is a fuller's soap? The fuller, the fuller was the one that would do the laundry, right? How would they do the laundry? What they would do for the clothes is that they would wash them with this soap and then they would lay the clothing over clean rocks. You know what they'd do? They would beat the clothing with sticks, rods. That's what the fuller would do. So in other words, what, Jesus is, what, what, what Malachi is saying about Jesus is that he not only comes to refine and purify those who are in covenant with God, but he comes to punish those who are wicked. And that's what the last passage is all about. And in that day, I, I, I'm thankful that I'm not going to be found amongst the wicked. Yeah? Because I don't want to be beaten with rods across stones. It doesn't sound like a, a great thing, right? But that was the prophetic language that the Lord was using through Malachi. But it speaks even of today. That we've got people who sit in this room who, who have been refined. And then there are people who will come in today. And there are people who we meet in the street who are like the wicked. And they're going to be beaten and treated like the fullest soap. And, you know, that, that brings me to this place of what are we to do about that? Because we don't want anyone to go through that kind of judgment, do we? What would we prefer, the Lord's cleansing or the Lord's judgment? It's a simple question, isn't it? And that's, that's what keeps our hearts supple before the Lord. That's what keeps us um, in that place of saying, God, I'm sorry. Help me to live more like you. And it's not, it's not like because he's going to beat us with a rod. It's because we changed. We refined. That which was evil is no longer there. And I'm pure. And I want to remain pure. No one likes a stained silver tray. The old, uh, we don't see a lot of silver stuff anymore. But when you, you think about it in the movies or in some of those programs, and they would have people in their house cleaning maids and all that sort of stuff, and they tell them to go and polish the silver because they didn't want tarnish on it. No, no one likes a, a tarnished pot. You know? so, so when it comes to us, the Lord is saying, you know, it's, it, let's keep ourselves pure in this area. And it's, it's within that framework, the framework of the disputes between God's people and God who is a holy and righteous God who brings justice, who brings the promise, who brings Jesus ultimately to deal with completely the, the stain of sin. It's within that framework that the whole message of tithes and offerings comes into the pipe. So to throw Malachi out just because giving was of the old covenant is to throw out all of the wonders of Jesus and what he's done for us and how he's purified us and how he set us free. And, and, and all of the New Testament, which leads up to the second coming of Christ and how he will separate the sheep from the goats. So you can't throw Malachi out because it's not Old Covenant. It, it in fact, is prophetic pointing to the New Covenant. Does that make sense? And the other reason you can't throw it out is not only is it a prophetic picture of Jesus... But it helps us to unpack what generosity really is. The generosity is not linked to the old covenant law. It's linked to a greater law than Moses' law. And we understand when we talk about the law, we're talking about Moses, right? 
When we talk about the prophets, we're often talking about Elijah, which is what happens here in Malachi, and I'll finish with that for us. But, but whether we're under the law of Moses or the law of grace, we're still under a law. I was only talking about this really quickly with Reuben on the way home last night. He's got to talk about worship, right? We were created beings to worship. Created to worship. We were created initially to worship God. But once the fall came in, we became worshippers of anything and everything. That's where idolatry stuck in. That's where the, the worship of money came in. And Jesus says, what? You can't serve both God and mammon. So this is dichotomy happening. This, this, we can only be in one sphere at one time. and So therefore... We're either under the law of Moses or we're under the law of grace. But prior to the law of Moses, there was other laws in effect. And those same laws are still in effect today. One of those would be the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. Without the law of gravity, we'd be floating around in here and one of us would be off into space and we'd be dead. Right? The law of gravity keeps us, what, grounded? It's probably the easiest thing to say. Um, I, I'm not going to say this word right. Um, the law of tithing, the law of giving, the law of generosity, we'll call it all that, the law of generosity, um, comes in under the law of reciprocity. The law of reciprocity. What does that mean? Well, the simplest way for you to understand this is the law of sowing and reaping doesn't come under the law of Moses, does it? The law of sowing and reaping doesn't be classified under the law of grace. It comes under the law of reciprocity, which is if I put something into the ground, it'll grow and it'll multiply. Does that make sense? Tithing, um, I taught last year that tithing is seen in Abraham way before the law and we're found under the covering of Abraham, right? The covenant of faith. But ultimately, generosity is linked firstly to the law of God. It was God who said amongst himself that we'll create man in our image. It was God who said amongst himself that we'll create the heavens and earth. It was God who said amongst himself that we will send another saviour, that we will send Jesus. It was God who said that I so love the world that I will give my only begotten son. It's the law of generosity comes way before any law. And any time we get caught up in this conversation, all we're trying to do is say, well, God, you know what? I'm the God of my stuff, and you're not. But if God created it all, and if God created the law of gravity and the law of sowing and reaping, then the law of generosity comes right the way back from the God who is known as love. Does that make sense? So to throw Malachi out with the bath is to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't lose the words of Malachi to say, you know what? I don't want to live by a principle. Generosity is not a principle. It's a statement of who we are and whose we are. Amen? We stand to our feet this morning. I hope that was okay and didn't go over our head. I felt like I needed to teach on that because I needed to teach myself. Is that okay? Some of that stuff is, is, uh, is kind of a little bit heavy, but when we understand Malachi, we'll, we'll, he 
he helps us understand him, God. God sends the refiner's fire. God sends the fuller's salt. For us today, we get to look at that in retrospect, that we're looking through the cross of Jesus, amen? We stand before God as new creatures, as new creations, righteous and redeemed. Each and every one of us called by the purposes of God. But somewhere along the line, I've picked up some habits. I've picked up some things. And you know, every now and then, I've just got to draw a line in the sand and be like that thief upon the cross who looked at Jesus and said, Today, will you remember me? Today, God, will you remember me? Let's pray. Father, we approach you not because we are worthy, but because you are. That as we are hidden in Christ and found in him, we have been refined. And even today, the Holy Spirit is refining us even more. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you turn up the temperature. Because we want to be refined, we want to be purified. Blocks of gold and silver, without any blemish, without any dross. I would ask today that you would speak into our hearts and help us to understand that we are in a covenant of grace. We can approach you as sons, as co-heirs in Christ. And while you don't look upon our sin and our stain, sometimes we do. And we ask the question, how can we reveal a good and righteous and amazing God to the nations when sometimes we ourselves are challenged and don't believe it ourselves? So Lord, today I ask that you would forgive our thinking. For some of us, Lord, I thank you that you'll forgive our actions. And that, Lord, you will, by your Holy Spirit, not only grant us repentance, but give us the grace that we need to move beyond ourselves and into this place of trusting you. You are a good and generous covenant God. Today, Lord, we want to be sons and daughters reveal that generosity to all. Be with us, Lord. Guide us as we go. Be amongst our fellowship. Be amongst our witness. We ask for this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. It's an exciting time. And uh, I pray that the Lord speaks to you this week over these things. And go through and read Malachi with those eyes and see what the Lord says to you in this. Amen.